And as you turn around and sit down, I invite you to open your Bibles. I hope you have them with you. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. We have a long text again. It's the same long text that we had last week. And I read through the entire text last week, even though I only taught from part of it. I told you why I did that, and I did that so that uh, you would see that the entire text belongs together, even though we only have time to treat part of it. And I'll tell you the same thing again today. I'm going to read through the entire text again. I hope you don't get tired of hearing the Word of God read. You ought not to. But we're going to read through the entire text again, and then we'll see if we can finish up today with this text. Open your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to ask for your faithful uh, attention to the word as it's read, either following along in your own Bible or listening attentively up here as I read. This follows on the heels of them gathering together and hearing the word of the law and responding to it and celebrating the Feast of Booths for the first time in a long time. And then they find themselves gathered together immediately on the heels of that. And this is what we read. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. I told you last week, it's a sign of their, their confession of their repentance towards God. And the Israelites, it says in verse 2, separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Heshebaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and with all their hosts. And Sorry, I'll just read that again. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers." And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. And by a pillar of fight, fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. 
Notice thus far through the entire reading, it is focused, their confession is focused on God. This is what we talked about last week. You, 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 you. You did all those things. Now verse 16, we turn a corner. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. And you multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. And you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. And once again, they have to dig down inside and see what the truth is of themselves and their ancestors. Verse 26. Nevertheless, despite all these things that God has done, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies." But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. And now we're going to turn one more corner in this text. Now, therefore, our God, the great and the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. 
for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Father, it's your text this morning. There's so much in here. There's so much more than I could say this morning. I pray that by your spirit, you would teach us, not just through the words that come out of my mouth, which I want to be under your control, but straight into our minds and into our hearts, the things that you would have us to know this morning from this word or from anywhere in your word. We submit to you, God. Of all things, of all things we have to pray before we begin the God is the truth that much of what we read here is the fact that you gave them what they were to do and they did not listen. So here we are today. You have given us what we are to do. The question is, will we listen? Help us, O God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for your attention through reading that. I know it's tough to read through a long text like that. It's easy to lose track. It's easy to let your mind wander. But I think it's a discipline for us to be willing and ready to, able to uh, go through a, a long text like that. Uh, Trent, would you uh, mind running up the clicker for me? I forgot to pick it up this morning. I kind of need that to keep on going here. So last week we focused on the fact that their confession, as all good confessions are, their confession focused on who God really was. So I would like to just remind you, encourage you, thank you, young man, encourage you, remind you that we, I would want to see a similar kind of confession as a very natural thing out of our mouths. We tend to look at confession as, you know, we have these specific sins to confess, which is true. And when the Holy Spirit reminds us, we should confess them. No question about it. But we should also see that part of having a, a humble walk before the Lord is to recognize that this kind of confession, these ideas of who God is and how, how perfect He is and who we are and how imperfect we are should be a constant, should be a theme that comes out of our mouths all the time because it's always true whether you know of something specific you've done wrong or not. The reality is there's always things in your life that aren't, uh, aren't correct with God and by his grace, he doesn't always remind us of all those things, certainly not all at once, otherwise he'd be overwhelmed, right? Thankfully, the blood of Jesus Christ has covered and paid for our sins. And again, it's this, it's this attitude of humility before God that will allow you to have confidence in the blood of Christ for even those things that you are unaware of. So, I want to just bring us, connect last week to this week by starting in verse 30, and there's two reasons why I want to bring this verse to us. One is because it reminds us of the truth of where they're at. They're getting to the end of their confession, and they're sort of wrapping it together, and they con conclude it this way. They say, many years, I think you have the wrong, uh-oh. 
That's last week's. Is there another one there? If not, we're going to be in trouble. But otherwise, we won't have a, a, a handout. This, we won't have a slideshow this week. That's last week. Look at verse 30. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. It's a conclusion. It's a summary. But as, as I was reading this, I hope you picked up on this. Because they kept saying, you did this and you did this. But we did this, or they did that. And we see this contrast that's being developed, and I think we should see it. If you've ever read the Old Testament, which I hope you have, then, then you see that there's this pattern that evolves, right? There's this thing that, that starts happening. God does all these great things on behalf of the people, and they rest in that, and as they rest in that, they begin to stray away from God. They begin to not obey Him. They begin to harden their heart towards Him. And when that happens, He gives them over to, the, to some consequences. In this case, in the Old Testament, to the, their neighbors, their people that would begin to pressure them. And then as they begin to be under pressure, they start crying out to God and say, God, we need your help. And as God hears that cry, He sends help, and He, he saves them from the hand of their oppressors, and they again begin to relax. And as they begin to relax again, guess what? They begin to stray again, and they just go right back down that same cycle. It's very clear, and it's very easy for us to see those things happen when we read about it in here. My question to you is, is it equally clear in your own life that this same pattern exists? Where God gives you rest, so to speak, and as he does that, and as you begin to experience things going well or things, things seeming like they're all put together, and you let down your guard somewhat, and then suddenly this starts to happen. You start straying away a bit, and then some little knocks come in, and you say, God, why is this happening? And God sends relief, and he's, he reminds you and, you, and you, and there's course correction, and then it happens again. I point that out to us to tell you not only is it wrong for us to look at the Old Testament Israelites critically and say, how could you guys not get this? Because we should see ourselves in this. But also to demonstrate that's why this kind of text is here for us to teach us the heart of confession and repentance that should be part of our lives. I think you've heard me say something like this before, but if not, I'm going to say it to you again this morning. Confession and repentance are good things. We should want them. We should long for them. We should seek after them. We want that. Unless you will maintain that you will not ever sin or make any mistakes before God again, then you want confession and repentance to be in your life. Because that is the mechanism by which you'll become right with God again, that you can walk faithfully before him. They're telling me back there that apparently I'd made a mistake and didn't upload. So you don't have anything to look at this morning. You just have to pay attention to the word, which is okay. Many years. I'm telling you, friends, if you can't already say this, one day in your life, and certainly when you get into uh, glory with, with your father and with the king who gave his life for you, you will be able to say, many years you bore with me, God. Many years you bore with me. You warned me. You gave me your word and you, you, you kept correcting me many years. There's a second reason, by the way, I want to bring your attention to verse 30. So make sure you're looking at verse 30 in your Bible there. And we actually miss this. There's, there's a theological teaching, I think, that's being unrolled here. But we miss it because for some reason, I couldn't find a translation that, that, that translated this word. But for some reason, there's a word that is not translated uh, in the English, into the English 
like it is just in another part of the verse. You see it at the end, it says, when they, when they would not give ear. They wouldn't listen to God. So God did what? God gave them over into the, what word do you see next? Into the hand or hands of the peoples of the lands. That's what he did. He gave them over into the hands of the people of the lands. What you and I, unless you have a translation I, haven't, I didn't find in my studying, what you and I don't see is that that same word, the word for hand is the Hebrew word yod, Y-A-D, which you don't, you don't need to know that. But that same word shows up in the first part of the verse. Because what it says literally is it says many years, well, I, I'm, I'm going to only tell you the, little, the, the Hebrew part right where it's there, but many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit in the hands of the prophets. Yet you would not give ear. Therefore, God gave you into the hands of the peoples. He uses the same word, the word yod. And I think it makes me uh, begin to open up this idea that God is in fact declaring to them, or they are confessing to God the truth of the reality that God put them in the hands of the prophets to guide them, to show them the way, to let them know where they're supposed to go through the Holy Spirit. And when they did not leave themselves in those hands, they were put in the hands of the enemies around them. Let me ask you a question this morning. As you think of what I just said to you, does that indicate or mean that that's an either-or proposition, that we will either be in God's hands through the Holy Spirit or we'll be in the hands of the enemies, of our enemy? Or is there some other place you can be other than in the hand of God through the Holy Spirit or in the hand of the enemy? I'm going to hang on to that for a little bit. But I want to get those seeds started. And again, no matter which way we go, no matter how down and dirty their confession gets, no matter how much they own up to their mistakes, they continually come back to remind themselves and us, us of the great, incredible truth of who God is. Look at verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, Hebrew phrase, Rav Racham, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. That phrase, by the way, Rav Racham, shows up like three or four times in this confession. There's a, there's, a, there's a focus by these people as they're confessing on the great mercies of God with a real purpose, with a real reason. When you and I, if you and I will become truly aware of how desperate we are in our sin, how how wretched our sinfulness truly is, then we will continually refer to the great mercies of God because it takes the great mercies of God to rescue us from that place. In our Sunday school class this morning, we were having some conversations about uh, how our preaching sometimes uh, comes maybe with the strong words of the truth of the gospel, but but there's a denial or there's, it's, not, it's not practiced out or they don't, there's no evidence seen as we interact with each other in the church and how that destroys our witness. And, uh, and the comment, uh, sort of what, at least the one place where my brain was running was the fact that I think that happens when we've received the gospel, but we forget how sinful we were before we had the gospel. And we forget the great struggle that there still is even when we have the gospel in our flesh, in walking faithfully before God. We forget how reliant we are upon the great mercies of God, the grace of God to walk faithfully before him. But in their confession and with us today, they turned a corner. They, they, they recounted all this history, and then they turn a corner because they say, God, now we have to talk about where we are at today. Where am I at? You, God, you're the great, the mighty, the awesome God, but 
please don't let this hardship that we're in, please don't, 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 don't let this, don't make this seem like a small thing to us. And then they say something that I want to make sure you hear today as absolutely rock bottom critical. This is, this is, this is, if there's only one thing you hear today, this is what I want you to hear. Verse 33, in their confession, they say, yet God, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. All of this back and forth, all of this, you did this, we did this. Notice for all of them, it's a history lesson, which means they're actually talking about things that other people did, not, them, not they themselves. There's an indication that they also confessed their own sins. We're not reading about it necessarily. But all the stuff they're talking about, even if it's reaching back and saying, we're suffering because of their choices back there, they, they get down to this nitty-gritty rock bottom, which I tell you, we must get to in our confessions. They say, God, in the end, you are righteous Everything you've done was right. We are the ones that have acted wickedly. I think I made this comment last week. I'm just going to reinforce it and say it again this week. It is a rare occasion when I hear confession from the people of God that does not come with some kind of excuse or justification. And here I see exactly what should be painted or what should come out of our confessions. In the end, the bottom line is, whatever has happened to me, whatever consequences I'm facing, whatever pressures are coming, whatever things have happened because of my sinfulness, God, you are always right, and I am the one who's acted wickedly. End of, end of it. There's no more excuse, no more justification, no more blaming, no more anything else. If we're not sure, we could, we, we could do this all day long, by the way, but if we're not sure, let me just give you a little bit of evidence. Psalm 145, just a couple of verses. I picked two from the Old Testament, two from the New Testament on each side. Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Can you guys say that? The Lord is righteous in all his ways. But are you convinced of that? Do you actually believe that? The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. God does not make a mistake. 1 John 1, 5 says this. If I'm going to flip there quickly. See, this is where I rely upon my screen and just get to keep rolling and I don't actually look them up. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim it to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Again, you know those words, right? But do you believe them deep down inside? There is absolutely no mistake in God. Nothing wrong in God. Nothing imperfect in God. No sin in God. No mistake. No, there's no unrighteousness. There is nothing that God does not do that is not absolutely 100% right. Nothing. On the flip side of things, we humans, we don't turn out so rosy, do we? For example, we could read Jeremiah 17:9, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. <laughs> When's the last time you gladly owned up to that statement? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And of course, a maybe more well-known verse out of the New Testament says, Here's the conclusion. This is the conclusion. This is the, this is the end of the matter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So who's not included in the word all? 
Who does that not reach? Which one of us are exempt from that conclusion? Well, clearly, right? We know if here in this confession, in one verse, and I could, trust me, brothers and sisters, I had more of them in my notepad, and I didn't put them in my sermon. But I could, I could read to you all morning long about all the righteous ways of God and all the sinful ways of man. But put them together, and it is no confession. There is no confession if we will not end in this place. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for we have, you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Friends, if you were to be destroyed because of the actions that you commit against God, would you have deserved that? Would you? Don't just all stand there and look at me. Don't make an intellectual exercise. You're not standing, you're sitting there. Don't just all sit there and look at me. Would you have deserved to be destroyed completely, utterly, lost for all time away from God because of your sinfulness toward him. 100%. Would God have been entirely just and righteous to have done that? 100%. This, I tell you, this is exactly why their confession is chock full of the incredible great mercies of God. Because they understand this. They wrestle with it. They, they, they brought it in here and said, it is so clear to us. It is so clear to us. Everything that has happened to us is exactly what we deserve. And God, in your great mercies, you did not forsake us. In your great mercies, you did not destroy us. In your great mercies, when you cried out, you answered us and you saved us. And we're reading an Old Testament story. Can I remind you? We're not reading a New Testament story. The rescue is even greater in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. <laughs> Everything that happens in the Old Testament rescue-wise is pointing towards the great rescue. Yet, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Again, I tell you, friends, if this is the only thing you walk away from today, is the knowledge that when you confess your sins before God, you need to say something like that. You don't have to say these exact words, although you can memorize them and say them if you want to, but you need to say something that is just like this, that says, God, everything that's happened to me, I deserve because of my sinfulness. You've acted faithfully. I'm acting wickedly. And then they point out to God the results of what it is they're facing. Look at verse 36. Behold, we are slaves. Behold, look, pay attention, we are slaves. I can tell you, I can tell you that though the specifics of each situation are different, we have, I don't know, 150, 160 people here today, and you all have unique stories, you have unique consequences for the unique actions that you've taken in your life, and that's not even mentioning all the people that are in this book and all the people that lived in between this, but I can tell you, though there are there's differences in these stories. There are differences in the consequences we face. There are differences in how this enslavement, this bondage comes out. At the bottom level, the truth is, the result is always the same. When we sin against God, we become enslaved. We, we, we become, we get put into bondage. Behold, we are slaves this day. And they say a few other things, they repeat it. Behold, we're slaves they ruled over us, and that causes us great distress. To help us answer the question I posed earlier, I'd like to read to you from Romans 
chapter 6. Remember that question I posed about whether we're either in the hand of God through the Spirit or whether we're in the hand of our enemies? This gets back at that same question. Romans chapter 6. No wonder it didn't make sense. I'm in 1 Corinthians. I started reading. I'm like, that's not, that's not what I want to read. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, I would submit to you that that, puts, that answers the question I asked you earlier. It's a little unfair of me because I asked the question already knowing the answer. But that paints the picture pretty clearly. You are a slave to the one you obey. Plain and simple. Did you catch that? You are a slave to the one you obey. You can either be enslaved to sin, which leads to death, or you can be enslaved to obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. That is exactly what they were confessing. You warned us, God, by the Spirit through the hands of your prophets, and you gave them to us to guide us so that we could be under their yoke, as it were. But we would not listen, and so you put us under the yoke of our enemy. That same choice exists for us today. It's made clear in places like, again, Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 31, where Moses looks at the people of Israel and says, you can choose today whom you're going to serve. And it's either life or death. You can serve God and have life, or you can serve yourselves or serve the enemy and have death. The choice is still the same for you sitting here today in 2021. That's how it is. You have the same choice. You can obey God you can live according to the guidance he's given you, <clears throat> Bible, through the Holy Spirit. If we were to translate that Nehemiah verse into us today in our confession, we could say, God, you warned us by, through the Spirit by, you, by the Bible, in the hands of the Bible. Now, thankfully, he uses other people too because we don't understand everything perfectly as we read it. I don't want to negate that. Or we can, you can, decide that you could want to do what you want to do. You can then be put into the hands of the enemy. If you find a third option, I'd be glad to have coffee with you and talk with you about it. I want to end today. As I was studying this last week and this week, I kept, my mind kept running to one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. And it kept running there because it parallels this confession and what we're going to read in chapter 10 next time we gather together over Nehemiah it parallels so clearly only in a New Testament context told to us by the Son of God Jesus himself illustrating who his father is so if you have your Bible still flip to Luke chapter 15 Luke chapter 15 has a story that we call the parable of the prodigal son it's really the parable of the forgiving father. And I want to help you see today the parallel between the confession that these people in Nehemiah are making and the story of the prodigal son. Just as in Luke chapter 15, we see, we, it, it's put on fantastic display, this father who loved and who was so ready to forgive and who was so full of abundant compassion and mercy. We see the parallel between the son and the people of Israel. 
who walked away from all that they had been given, who squandered all that God had given them, all that, the, that, that the God their father had given them, who thumbed their nose and became enslaved, and who woke up one day and realized that they were an heir and made confession and repented. But I want to point us to this because not only is it good for us to know the general story, I'm guessing you know the story of the product. If, if we'd have more time here this morning, I don't think I'll take the time, but I, I love doing things like, like having you guys tell the story corporately together, just like putting the story together. I'm guessing, I'm hoping you know the story of the prodigal son. You know that there was a father who had two sons, and quite frankly, we're not even going to talk about the second son today, which is also a good conversation, but it's not the point of, of why we're here today in this text today. A father had two sons, and the one son looked at his dad, and he said, he said, this is my paraphrase, but he essentially said, Dad, I wish you were dead, because what he said is, give me my share of the inheritance, and you get the inheritance when your father dies. So he said, basically, Dad, I wish you were dead. And, dad, and his dad said, okay, and he gave him his stuff. But his son, the son took it, and he left, and he squandered all of it in wild living. He did everything he wanted to do, and he became, uh, he became poor and destitute. And it says, and there's a reason the story goes the way it goes. It says that he hired himself out to one of the Gentile farmers, one of the pig farmers in the area. That word hired, he became a slave. Nehemiah, we just read it. God, that's the end result of our sin. We became enslaved. And one day, the son sitting in the middle of the pig slop, looking at their food, I'm guessing this has not ever happened in your life, looking at the food the pigs were eating longingly as wishing he could eat that himself. And he wakes up and he comes to himself. And he says, you know, even the hired servants, even the slaves, now don't think slaves like American slavery, but think people who are in bondage because they have a debt to repay. And so they're working to repay that debt. Even the slaves in my father's household are better off than this. And he says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to make confession. But I want you to look at the confession he makes. This is in uh, verse 18. He says, I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In just this simple sentence, brothers and sisters, is the is the. The formula, if you will, I don't like using formulas, but is laid out for us what it means to confess. Father, I have sinned. I made a mistake. I did it wrong. And then he recognizes I've sinned against heaven and against, now in this case, the son is talking to his dad. And we should recognize the same thing. Many times our sin is ultimately always against God because it's his rules we're violating. But it often also affects people here that need to be confessed to. But look what he says next. This gets me every time, and I hope it gets you. I hope given what we've talked about this morning, in verse 19 in Luke 15, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I don't know how many times you've read that verse, I don't know how many times you've, I don't know what you do when you read that verse, I don't know if you gloss over it, if you just sort of give mental assent to it, but I want to ask you this morning to stop and think about that statement. Is what he said true. Is he no longer worthy to be called the father's son? Is it? Is it true? Maybe you don't feel this way. Maybe you don't see things this way, but it is my 
it is my vantage point or my viewpoint that in our Americanized, our individualized, our uh, self-sufficient, our, um, our humanism, our thinking that we are, have a little bit that we bring to the table, whatever phrase you want to use, it is my perspective that many times we actually don't really believe deep down inside that's true. We think, well, surely he has some redeeming value that is, he still deserves to be the son. He's not actually like the slave. He's acting like that, but he's not actually like that. I tell you, what he's saying here is 100% true. It's the same thing I just covered back in Nehemiah. Unless we get to the place where we recognize that God is doing everything entirely righteously and we are the ones acting wickedly, deserve everything we get, we're not raking true confession. He's 100% correct. He does not deserve to be the son anymore. That's the power in the story. That's the power in our story. None of us deserve to be God's sons or daughters. But he makes a declaration at the end. Treat me. Can I at least be like one of your hired servants? He recognizes that I'm enslaved here. I may as well be enslaved here to you, God. It's the same decision you and I have to make, by the way. I'm going to be enslaved no matter what. Forget freedom like America talks about freedom. You're going to be enslaved to something. You better choose. Sin, God. I, the, this son, he recognized, I'm enslaved here. I may as well be enslaved here because it's far better. It's where I should be. Treat me as your hired servant. This is the stuff of confessions. This is what we read in long form, Nehemiah chapter 9, in just a, like of two verses in Luke chapter 15. Jesus teaches the same thing that the people of Israel demonstrated back in Nehemiah. Now notice, by the way, notice something very carefully. Something that happens in our churches all the time, I think. When all these things happen, when he wakes up and realizes that, that he's not where he should be, he's got to go back, he's got to confess, he comes up with this great confession, where is he still at? Where is he physically still at? He's still sitting in the pig slop. Read the text carefully. He's still sitting in the pig slop, which means there's one very, very critical piece left, and that is he has to get up and actually walk back to his father. He can't just, he can't just decide this is a good thing to say to my father and then sit there in the pig slop. He has to get up. That's called repentance. There's a reason I put these all together. Chapter 9 and chapter 10 of Nehemiah. Chapter 10 is where we're going to get the, the, the repentance part of it. The turning away from where we were at and the pursuing of other things. That's what we're going to read in chapter 10 when we get there. The son sitting there saying, my servants of my father are better off than what I am. And I'm going to go back to him and confess to him that I'm sorry, Dad, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm not worthy to be your son, but can I be a higher servant? He's still right where he's at. He has to get up and start walking back to the Father. That's the same for us. When we hear incredible things, uh, uh, when God reveals something to us that we've not seen before, when something stirs inside of us on a Sunday morning or sometime else when we're talking with somebody, it's not enough just to say, man, that was brilliant. I, give me I, I agree with that. But we have to change our position. We have to recognize that if I was in a place where I should not be, if I was enslaved to the wrong thing, I need to move. And this, of course, is where the story gets really great. This is where the, the father in the story is exactly like the God of the Nehemiah chapter 9 description. Because as the son begins to walk back, and you know this, right? But as the son begins to walk back, and I'm sure is, uh, is getting this growing knot in his stomach every step he takes, the closer and closer he gets to, to, to actually meeting his father again and having to bring those words out of his mouth. As he gets closer and closer, we see the most wonderful thing that we've ever, ever known to see. And that is that the father is waiting uh, it doesn't actually say this literally, but he, as it were, he's waiting at the end of the driveway. 
He's watching for his son. I don't know how many days he's been there watching for his son, but certainly if he was there on that day, the implication was he was often there. And he's, he's, uh, he says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And what was not deserved, no longer being a son, is actually what happens. He gives his confession, but the father says to his servants, no, that's not how it's going to be. My son, he looks at him, he calls him my son. My son is back. He was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. And he began to celebrate. I already said it. If you have never done this before in your life, certainly today is the day to change that. The ultimate destiny of where you are going to end up in eternity. You have the same choice before you. You can choose to be enslaved, to put yourself in the hands of the enemy, which is to say that you will do things your own way. You will follow your own flesh. You will decide what to do and what not to do. You will disobey what God has asked you to do. Or you can choose to be enslaved to God, the end of which is life eternal. But even beyond, if you've never done that, if you were here this morning and you realize that you have recently strayed away or you've recently become like the son who took all the riches that God has done and has squandered it, then today is yet another chance for you to make a choice to change that and say, I don't want that. I want to confess my sin and repent and turn away from it and be made right with my God. And I don't see how any single preacher of the Word of God could ever come to texts like this and not give you an opportunity to do exactly that. So very unashamedly, I look at you and say that if you need to make something right with God today, then you should do that this morning before you walk out of this room. Whether it's the first time or whether it's the hundredth time or the millionth time, if there's something that the Holy Spirit makes you aware of this morning that you have walked astray of, from Him, then you want to lean on the great mercies of God. I can assure you He's there at the end of the driveway waiting for you. But you must get up and walk to Him. Now, if it helps you to physically get up and walk up here, you're absolutely welcome to do that. It's not a requirement. But you must change positions if you're in a place where you should not be. God, we are here this morning. You have brought us to this text. And yes, we learn about Nehemiah and the people of Israel. And yes, we are informed in our minds about what confession is all about. But none of that does us any good if we're not willing to allow your Holy Spirit to apply those words to our life. And so this morning, God, we want to take some time to simply respond to you. I have no doubt, God, that if, if that's true for one of us, that we are in a place we should not be if we are aware of sin against you, that your Holy Spirit has been very active about that. And I don't need to make, I don't need to put the pressure on. I, you're very capable of that yourself. Even in that, I surrender to you, Holy Spirit. But we want to take time to respond to you. So, Father, this morning, we want to choose life. We want to choose Jesus. We want to choose to trust in what you've done through Jesus so that we might be forgiven. 
we want to realize that we have been enslaved. If we have not been choosing you, that we have been enslaved and we'd rather be enslaved to you. We'd rather be in your hands than the hand of the enemy. So this morning, we make our confession to you. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to make your own, make that confession your own. I can pray up here, but you have to be the one that is saying these things to the Father. Your confession of all the things that God has done for you and all the ways that you have responded wickedly. Give us your grace this morning, Father, to come and end up in the place that no matter whether it's actions that we took or actions that others took that, that, that brought things to us that are painful, that caused things to happen to us that, that we would say, it's not our fault. They were the ones that did this. No matter what, Father, give us the grace this morning to say, God, you act righteously in all that you do. You are faithful. I act wickedly. Just because someone did something to me doesn't give me a right to disobey your rules, God. You have done all these things. They recounted their history, but God, we can recount our history. You parted the sea. You made a way for me to be saved through Jesus Christ. You shed your blood. You turned your back on you. You piled the, the, the weight, the punishment of all of my sin upon your sinless son that I might be set free. You sent your Holy Spirit and asked him to take up residence in these containers of flesh, these jars of clay, these things of weakness. What a sacrifice that must be. And I, and I chose to harden my heart or shrug my shoulder to the Holy Spirit in his direction to me. To disobey that part of scripture because I don't like it. To justify my actions because they did this, or because I want to do it this way, or because it, surely you can't mean this. And in all of these ways, God, you have acted righteously, and I have acted wickedly. All these things that have come upon me are deserved. But look upon us, God. We are enslaved. I'm enslaved when I walk according to my flesh. And I'm so grateful that you have given us the answer already in Jesus Christ, that when we come to him, that there is freedom, that we are set free to now become enslaved to you, to now be your servant, to now be your son and your daughter. You have adopted us. You have called us sons and daughters that we can cry out, Abba, Father. What a blessing. Again, brothers and sisters, I'm going to talk to you while I'm praying, while we're praying. With your eyes closed, I hope you are doing business with the Lord as you need to. I hope you will make a commitment to not leave this room until you have been made right with the Father in whatever avenue, whatever place that is, whatever situation that is, if I get it right. Can we just sing a cappella, that last song that we sang this morning, Created Me a Clean Heart? Eric, would you mind leading us? Jesus, we magnify your name and declare you to be king of our lives. Thank you so much for what you did for us that we can have a hope for forgiveness. 
have a knowledge that there's, our situation has been changed, that when we come to you, our position is changed, that when we are in Christ, that we can come into the very presence of the Almighty. There's no condemnation for us when we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we worship you and magnify you. We make you our king, our leader, our ruler, our boss. Reign over us. Be in charge of us. Thank you, God, that we can be in your hands through the Holy Spirit to be led and to be guided by him. Help us, Father, to not stiffen our necks, to not stop up our ears, to not turn our shoulders, but to yield to you. We give you praise and glory for you are a wonderful God, a wonderful God. Oh, you are a wonderful God.